Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and good day, everybody. Thank you for joining us again and another show here on the 21st Century Pain Solutions. My very special guest is Penny Cowan. Penny, welcome. Thank you. Good evening. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's great to have you on today. So Penny founded and is the CEO of the American Chronic Pain Association, which provides peer support and education in pain management skills to people with pain and their families and works to build awareness about chronic pain among professionals, decision makers, and the general public. So that's quite a sentence there and quite amazing testimony to you, Penny, that you've taken this on and run with it for 40 years now. So it's, I'm yep. thrilled to be talking about chronic pain with you because you're one of the leaders in the country helping people on their journey, as we've been talking about before we got on today. So for our audience, just let us get plugged into you a little bit. What brought you to this world of helping people with chronic pain back in 1980? I actually graduated from a pain management program at the Cleveland Clinic in late 79, 1979, and there were several things that occurred to me. First of all, for the very first time in many years, I realized I wasn't the only person in the world with pain. There are actually other people out there, but because pain is so very isolating, we don't know that there's other people. We really are very much alone and feel like no one understands. There's a lot of people out there that do. Secondly, what they taught me was just really too good to keep to myself. But I think the main reason that I started the organization was I had this real fear of falling back into that role of a patient. When I went to the pain program, I was in every sense of the word a patient. By the time I left the pain program, I was a person again, able to function and had a better quality of life. So the question was, how do I maintain my wellness? And the only way to do that was to get that positive reinforcement. And the best way to do that is to share what I've learned with other people and continue to learn. And I have, over the last 40 years, learned a great deal and created a great deal of materials. The nice thing is, many years ago, one of the workbooks that we have called the ACPA First Steps from Patient to Person is a workbook that the Cleveland Clinic actually uses in their programs now. So it's sort of gone full circle that they use our materials now in their program. Beautiful story. Wonderful. So tell us, what are you up to? What is the organization up to these days and leading the way and in North America? You know, a lot of the things that, that we focus on depends on the needs of the individuals that we talk to. So we just recently did a whole project on migraines. We have a graphical tool that helps people through pictures explain all of the triggers, all of the symptoms that they have, 
and they can share this and they can track them over a long period of time and share them with their healthcare provider. Then there's this, that we have pain maps. One of them is a head map. And on that head map, they can point their cursor right where their pain is. And there's a drop down box and it's going to, with graphics, sort of click on exactly how that pain is, the intensity of the pain, how it feels, what triggers that pain and what makes it worse. And they can just go all over the right side of their head and the left side of their head. And then they can actually print out a picture of their pain. We have them for back pain. We have them for fibromyalgia. We have them for diabetic peripheral neuropathy. And so with those pain maps, people can now begin to communicate in a much better way with their healthcare provider about exactly how their pain feels, where it is, how it looks, and so it's a way to validate the person. We also recently just did a project called This is Pain. And seven of our members told their stories to a graphical artist. And she actually did body paintings on the outside of their bodies, on their bodies of their pain. And that's actually, you'll see it right on our homepage of our webpage. It's called This is Pain. And you can click on it and actually look at all of their stories and the pictures. And it was actually displayed in New York City in mid-December. It was actually these big eight-foot posters that they had at the subway station by the, the World Trade Center, the Freedom Tower. It was a good way to really help people understand what pain is like. Because we also, one of the things we did back in 2001 was establish September as Pain Awareness Month. And so we drove that effort for six years. We got 80 other organizations, both healthcare provider and consumer organizations, to join our efforts, and every year we had another different kind of activity. We did toolkits for nurses. We did them for pharmacists. We looked at disparities in pain. So we did all kinds of activities. Now, today, if you look at it, and you'll see September Pain Awareness Month, that's where it came from, though we never put our name on it. We called it Partners for Understanding Pain. So now the FDA, the NIH, the C, all of them, and we just, two years ago, I went to the WHO and declared Pain Awareness Month is International Pain Awareness Month. So it's also being celebrated internationally now. And I just saw that the International Association for the Study of Pain, they had also geared up for Pain Awareness Month last year and again this month, this year. Amazing. What a testament to your dedication to this purpose in life. Okay, so you were sharing up before about resource guide that's the public can go to your website. Share about that because that's a wonderful resource. It's called the Resource Guide to Pain Medication and Treatments. And it lists all of the treatments and all of the medications used for pain and pain management. It is a free, I think it's about 150 pages. It's all indexed and you can find it right on our webpage. It's free to be downloaded. And so we've done this one for a number of years. One of our board members actually writes that. And so... Last year, we were approached by Stanford University and their pain management program, and they would like to share the authorship of that. So this year, you'll see when we put it posted, it's almost ready to be posted now, the 2020 version, and you'll see that it is a co-authored by both the American Chronic Pain Association and Stanford Healthcare System or Pain Medicine. And what has Stanford brought to that co-authorship with you? Uh, they helped edit the whole text. So they had a number of their healthcare professionals also look at this and bring it up to date with the most current 
information available in pain and pain management, both on the treatments and the medication. It's wonderful. Um, I'm also affiliated with Stanford and helping with the Empower Relief Workshop that Beth Darnell is leading the yep. way in there. When, yeah, we work on, that's a PCORI grant. We work on a lot of those. We've probably been on about 30 different PCORI grants. Okay. And you're also a speaker. You're also touring and doing lots of talks around the country. What are you up to with there? I do a lot of presentations to healthcare professionals, but one of the projects that I'm really very fond of is called Vets in Pain. And so I have over the last eight years been to 83 VA hospitals around the country from Alaska to Puerto Rico, from Maine to California down in Florida. And those are day-long seminars that I do with both the vets and the healthcare professionals. And so the day starts out with really understanding what chronic pain is, the impact it has on the individual, on the family members, on the healthcare providers. And then we talk about some of the tools that are used to bridge that communication gap between the healthcare provider and the person with pain. And we share all of our graphical tools with them. And all of those, by the way, are free and on our website. Anyone can access any of those. A lot of them are interactive pain maps. And then we give them a break and then and then we talk about what we call the self-management skills. We have what we call the 10 steps from patient to person. And those are the basics of pain management. Things like, first of all, accepting the pain and then taking an active role rather than being a passive patient to become an active participant. We talk about, you know, what their priorities are, setting their goals, stress, and the importance of relaxation, listening to your body and pacing. We talk about the importance of exercise. We talk about stress management. We talk about feelings and emotions and the impact it has. But we also talk a lot about people who are always, when they're living with pain, they talk about all the things that they've lost, that they can't do anymore. And so one of we want to do is really just sort of change that thinking and ask, but what can you still do? So instead of looking at all the loss, let's look at the abilities. Instead of disabilities, what are your abilities? What can you still do? How can we begin to help you improve the quality of your life, increase your function, and reduce your suffering? Because that's really the goal of pain management. The most important thing is the person with pain has to become an active participant in the healthcare. They can't be a passive patient. They really have to become part of the treatment team and be an active participant in their health care. Wonderful to just know that this is out there for everybody. You know, as a, I'm a family physician and I have a passion to help people with pain and being in the business for 20 years. You know, I feel a little bit isolated because around me, it's kind of outside the box thinking these principles you're mentioning about acceptance and prioritizing stress management, relaxation, exercising, pacing. These are things I frequently touch on with my patients and I'm this one person, you know, in a, in a big arena and we're, everybody does a little bit, I think, but I think if we could utilize these resources at a source point, there's no point in repeating, you know, reinventing the wheel. So I think it's just fantastic that we can direct people to your website. What is the website at the American Chronic Pain Association? It's www.the acpa.org that's the acpa.org short for the american chronic pain association.org okay so everybody listening take a note as long as you're not driving take a note get the pen out so it's the acpa for american chronic pain association.org excellent or just type in chronic pain and it'll come up now you also mentioned about some of your patients go on to be peer group leaders. 
So how does your society assist them in this role? Okay, so first of all, we don't have patients. We have people with pain that come to us for help. So we don't provide any kind of medical treatment or advice. So I want to clear that up. We're not healthcare professionals and we don't have patients. We have members, people who are our peers. And so we teach them how to do peer-led support groups. We actually have a workbook and a video. And in that workbook, it tells them how to get the group set up, how to keep focused on positive coping skills, rather than on people sitting there talking about their pain because they're not allowed to talk about their pain in our groups. We want them to look at how do you actually live with it? What is it that you need to do? And, and it's important also, and we have what we call a family manual that I wrote and I actually had to interview families for three years before I could write that one because I don't know what it's like to live with pain. I only know with someone with pain, I only know what it's like to live with pain. And so I interviewed families for three years to really understand what their struggles were. And what I found is that the only difference between a family member and a person with pain is that they don't feel the pain. So we encourage family members to have peer-led groups as well, meet same place, same time, different room. And so the focus is, again, pretty much the same thing on focusing on what your abilities are, understanding all of those things, those skills that I talked about, and how do you actually apply them to your daily life? So people share those kinds of very positive experiences with each other. And they use our workbooks. We have workbooks, we have coping calendars, toolkits, all kinds of materials that we provide to the groups, along with videos. And how do you promote your organization to get the word out there? Well, obviously through social media. We have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have Instagram, we have all of those. But I think we have been around for 40 years. We've been in every health magazine, national magazine, done a number of TV, radio. We go to healthcare provider organization, their annual meetings. You know, we've presented there. I do a lot of speaking, been part of a number of different efforts, both nationally and internationally. So I'm very much involved in the International Patient Alliance, and that's something that we just started that brings together a number of other countries looking at all of the issues that patients face globally. Okay, okay. And can you maybe share a story or two of success stories from the work that you're doing? You know, we hear quite often from people, and, and I find it really interesting because they'll say, you saved my life, ACPA saved my life. But I have to look at them and I talk with them and I say, you know, we may have provided you with the tools that you need, but unless they apply them to their daily lives and they do the work, there's really nothing I can, I mean, we can talk to her blue in the face, but there's nothing we can do unless that person with pain takes an active role. And I think that's the whole point of all of this. It's really up to each individual. How much you get out of it is how much you're going to put into it. So we can provide them with the tools. We can give them the direction. We'll, we will support them. We support our facilitators. And we do all of that. But in the end, it's up to that individual to really take an active role and begin that transition and walk the, make that journey from patient back to person. And we'll be there every step of the way to support them. It's so true. I was talking to a patient today about this very subject of the more you put in, the more you get out. And it just really occurred to me that it's so true. You know, you ask people to do things and encourage them to do things. And seriously, the, the more they do it, the better they become. You know, and the less they do, the less benefit they're going to come, whether it's their journaling or positive affirmations or 
their cognitive behavioral you know, techniques like active listening. I love the one, never talk about your pain or don't talk about your pain because yeah. that just stimulates the brain neural circuits for more pain. So it's no point. Right. The more you think about your pain, the more you focus on it, the more you're going to experience it. That's why we try to help them learn how to redirect their pension, offer their pain, and onto something they have more control over. So we have things like the Art of Pain Management, which is this whole toolkit about art and music. And we have, you know, actually work with a graphic art therapist to design that toolkit for them. But one of the things that I always say, we have a five-minute relaxation on our webpage. And I always play it when I give talks. But before I play that, and I always talk about, you know, if we could just lay on a, a warm, sunny beach and relax day after day, listening to the waves crashing against the shore, maybe we could relax. And then I stop and I ask them in their mind, I want them to count from one to 25 and at exactly the same time say their alphabet. And I get all these looks because they can't. It's impossible. We have a one-track mind. So while we're thinking about laying on that warm, sandy beach, listening to the waves crashing against the shore and the palm trees swaying overhead, in that instant, we're not thinking about how much their back hurts or their head hurts. So in that instant, they've reduced their sense of suffering. One of the goals of pain management. It's a learned skill and it takes practice. But people can't tell me they can't do it because everyone can do it. It just takes practice and effort. That's right. One little tip that occurred to me recently, say a patient has got a headache and they've got maybe 5 to 10% of their body area in pain. But the reality is there's 90% of their body not in pain. And by saying sharing that, they go, oh, that's interesting. So their brain is actually functional and the sympathetic drive is reduced are balanced with the parasympathetic drive and the other aspects of their body. So you don't get this driving up of tension and reduction of blood flow to the painful areas. And there's actually this balance and normality going on around their body. And when they start focusing on the 90%, it's like, oh, okay, we've only got 10% to work on that. And right. I love that little analogy because as you're saying, one of the main messages I hear is, You've got to look at your abilities. You've got to look at your positives. You've got to look at what you got and then right. move forward from there. So, yeah. And the other thing is that yeah. one of the problems that I had for so many years before I went to the pain program is that they would try therapy, try a medication. If it didn't work, they'd stop it. And then they'd go on to something else. And so we have this video on our webpage in this little story. It's called The Car with Four Flat Tires. And that's how we describe a person living with pain. And their tires are all flat. And the problem is they may fill one tire by putting, giving them certain medication. And that medication may fill up 30 or 40% of their tire like it's designed to do. The problem is they still have three flat tires and they can't go anywhere. So the question is, what else do they need to fill up their other three tires? And for each person, it's going to be different. It could be physical therapy. It might be nutritional guidance. Maybe it's some stress management, maybe even some counseling nutritional guidance, a peer-led support group, when they get all four tires filled, it's their job to maintain their wellness. You don't take your car back to the dealer and say, wash my one shoulder, fill her up. That's your job. If something goes wrong with the car, then you take it in for a checkup. So it's a combination of treatments and therapies with the person with pain at the center that gets you up and gets you going again. And so it's a little animated video on our webpage. And I recommend everybody listening to this to go and watch that. I love that analogy of the four tires. It just makes so much sense and puts it in a pictorial concept. And, and if it's on video, even better. 
to drive home that, listen, we're all doing a little bit here and there, but when we work together, we can be successful and people can alleviate their suffering a lot. So yes. it's a wonderful analogy. Any final um, insights for the audience tonight, Penny? I think one of the most important things is to let people know that they're not alone. You know, in the recent Institute of Medicine report on pain in America, there were 100 million people living with some form of chronic pain. And so they're not alone and there is hope and there is a way to move from patient back to person again. The problem is they have to take an active role and they need a support system. They need to reach out to others and say, I need help. And that's a hard thing for people to do. But we're there. We have, our services are free. We don't charge to come to our support groups. All the materials on our website are free. They're available to anyone. It's a matter of them putting in the effort to help themselves. And who living with pain would not want their life back? Because that's the one thing we hear all the time is, I want my life back. So they should visit the website, www.theacpa.org. That's T-H-E-A-C-P-A.org. Well, it's been a privilege, Penny, to talk, and um, you've inspired me tonight with your 40 years commitment, and it's, it's just wonderful to, to be doing something like this on the podcast show, and just, again, another way of just reaching out and sharing the goodness that's there for folk when they have got a signpost. So the signpost tonight is going on to the acpa.com website, where you can learn all about this work that Penny's talking about. So thank you, Penny. From my heart. Thank you. It's fantastic. Thank you very much. Okay. Have a great night. All right. You too.